0: Welcome to Truth Jihad Audio Visual. I'm Kevin Barrett, talking about all of the most important suppressed issues from all of the most interesting perspectives since 2006. The website is truthjihad.com, where you can subscribe to my Substack just by clicking on the Subscribe at Substack button. Well, another guy who's very much subscribing to at Substack is Joel Hirschhorn. He is a metallurgist, uh, engineering professor who has consulted with U.S. Congress. Done all kinds of brave work on a long list of issues, including the one that I helped get him uh, interested in, 9 11 Truth. And he's doing great work on pandemic related issues now. His book is Pandemic Blunder, and he puts out the Pandemic Blunder newsletter on Substack. And the most recent episode was very interesting about long COVID. That's what we're going to talk about today. So, hey, welcome, Joel Hirshhorn. How are you, Joel?
1: Thank you.
0: Glad to be with you, Kevin. Yeah, good to have you back. Yeah, we've been doing these shows on and off for a long time since uh, your, your work on the, uh, the Constitutional Convention issue and, and on through a number of other issues. Uh, so I, I think you're, you're a really interesting voice on the COVID issues. Most of what you do pretty much jibes with the majority of COVID skeptics, many of whom are skeptical about whether COVID is even that much of a medical problem. Your most recent piece on long COVID suggests that maybe COVID actually is a bigger medical problem than many of us realized. and maybe the Chinese are not quite so crazy in locking down Shanghai and Beijing to try to enforce a zero COVID policy, which sounds completely nuts, especially in the Omicron era. But if long COVID is as serious as some say, they may not be quite so crazy. So maybe uh, talk a little bit about how this long COVID issue might be an exception to the rule that the COVID fears have generally been exaggerated.
1: Well, in one sense, they've been exaggerated because the vast majority of people, even if they come down with COVID infection, are not going to die. And we've had those statistics from CDC since the very beginning. So a very small fraction of Americans are vulnerable to getting very seriously ill and going to the hospital and dying. But that's a very small fraction of individuals, mostly very older people uh, and people with comorbidities, such as obesity and diabetes. Um, When we talk about long COVID, this is a different kind of situation. This is saying that people who get infected or get vaccinated, I want to emphasize, COVID vaccinations, they they get a host of symptoms that go on for many weeks, months, and now years after their initial infection or their initial vaccination. So long COVID is a set of symptoms which the medical community, I want to emphasize, has not been able to develop uh, effective cures for. So we have tens of millions of Americans who are suffering with long COVID. Uh, physical fatigue uh, is, is a chief complaint. Uh, and this is not you know something psychological. This is real. I mean the, the, there's, there's, a, there's a biological explanation for long COVID. Uh, the recent article I did was on brain fog, it turns out, a very high fraction of people with long COVID suffer from brain fog, and brain fog is a very complicated situation. But it ruins uh, quality of life. Uh, people with serious brain fog who can't concentrate, can't focus their minds. There's a kind of fuzziness in their in their brain function. Uh, they cannot resume their normal lives. As it, the same is true with with, with physical. uh uh, fatigue those people also can't get back to work so it's a funny strange world we're living in that is we can move past pandemic covid pandemic and talk about people dying and now we're in the sort of post-pandemic phase which is a different form of the pandemic which is long covid And, and again we have dozens and dozens of clinics around the country who are trying to focus on long COVID. And by the way, none of those clinics and hospitals have come up with terrific solutions. At the end of this article, I I give some ideas on what people say can be done for long COVID and brain fog, but there's no simple uh, solutions. Uh, People get sort of get stuck in this quagmire of long COVID uh, with a host of symptoms, uh, the worst ones being physical fatigue. They can't move. They can't, uh, they have no energy. Uh, And then their brain is not functioning. For a lot of them, the brain fog thing is also dominant in their lives. So long COVID is just another sort of uh, aspect of the COVID pandemic. Once you get past the initial Concern about dying from COVID. Then you have to be concerned about, well, you're going to live, but you're going to live with long COVID. And again, now we have people, because of the whole time situation, we have people that have been suffering with long COVID for going on two years. And it usually happens. It can happen within days, weeks, or months of an initial infection. And the infection may be asymptomatic. It may not be serious or we're certainly seeing evidence, uh, long COVID is also uh, happening after uh, COVID uh, vaccination shots, uh, which put in spike proteins and it all goes back to spike proteins. And you know, I, I've written a number of articles on, uh, on long COVID and I, I, what I wanna emphasize is I think the strongest uh, sort of biological evidence for long COVID was worked on in South Africa, where they actually got the pictures, they show you um, micro blood clots in people with long COVID. And these are blood clots in the fine uh, small blood vessels in the body, throughout the body. And those blood clots have a number of consequences. Certainly with regard to the brain, uh, these blood clots Uh, hold back the flow of both blood and oxygen to organs, including the brain. So the brain is not getting sufficient oxygen and blood. Plus we know from a lot of other research that the blood clots cause inflammation. So we have brain inflammation that's also going on. This is solid medical research. So, we, we know all these things are happening now, a lot of medical research. And again, there's no wonderful cure because nobody has come up with a way to sort of get rid of the blood clots. I mean, you can fight inflammation with diet and various supplements and things, but getting rid of blood clots is not an easy thing to do. And you can't find them with normal diagnostic techniques. These micro blood clots, are not going to show up on MRI or x-rays or various imaging uh, techniques. They're too small. They're too small. But they really have an impact, again, on blood flow and oxygen flow. And they are a fundamental cause of inflammation because these blood vessels get really destroyed. And it all goes back to spike proteins, I want to emphasize. And and
0: so the South African study, did that find this problem in people who had just been vaccinated but hadn't had COVID?
1: Uh, No, it was in people with long COVID who had uh, had been infected at some point.
0: Because you mentioned that this could uh, afflict people who had just been vaccinated.
1: And the reason I say that, and I think this research that supports me, is that these vaccinations pump in a lot of spike proteins into your body. I'm talking about now the mRNA vaccines. There are a few, but not used in the U.S. that are not like that. But the ones that pump in spike proteins, those spike proteins, and you got to think about this in terms of a sort of mental picture, these spikes are in the fine blood vessels, and they cause the accumulation of fibrin and platelets, and, and the materials in blood. And that, so the spike protein gets caught in these blood vessels and is the fundamental cause of the clots. And uh, you can measure this. It's interesting that there's a test. I'm always amazed. D-dimer. The D-dimer, the D-dimer <laughs> test. Yeah. And I'm always amazed, Kevin, that American doctors, with a few exceptions, uh, don't use the D-dimer test. Now, they were using it. It was interesting. I, in one of my articles, I went back, and I found when, when the pandemic first began, uh, 2020, uh, 2021, hospitals, especially in New York, Mount Sinai, they were using the D-dimer test all the time. And they correlated high values from the D-dimer test with seriousness of COVID infection. So they were, they were using the, the simple test as a diagnostic tool to evaluate patients in the hospital with COVID infection. And the higher the d dimer value, the indication of more blood clotting, the worse the patients were in terms of how they were going to uh, survive or die in the hospital. But other than that, we have this a famous case of the, so, so
0: why would they stop using it then all of a sudden, if it was working so well?
1: <laughs> you know, you got me. It's again, <laughs> If are were a
0: paranoid conspiracy theorist, I would think they didn't want to know what it might reveal.
1: And I've talked about in a number of articles, uh, Dr. Charles Hoff in Canada, who uh, had given Moderna vaccines, okay, vaccines, to uh, hundreds of his patients. And for some reason, I guess he was reading the medical literature, and he gave the D-dimer test, and 60, I believe the number is 64% of his vaccinated patients had elevated D-dimer results. So he knew at that point, and he wrote about this, and he lost his job basically because he went public uh, in Canada, uh, that these people would suffer endless medical problems because they had blood clots. And the D-dimer test was proof positive in his view, correct view, that their bodies were filled with blood clots. So he was an unusual Just a normal physician, not a specialist, who did the D-Dimer test. You know, there are two kinds of tests. I'm always amazed. Number one, most doctors will not do the D dimer test for some reason. They don't do it. The other test they don't do, by the way, Kevin, and I've written about this, which is very significant, because I had it done, is a test in your for your blood to see what level of vitamin D you have in your blood. I am absolutely convinced that we could have stemmed the pandemic casualties and deaths if we would have, if the government and public health officials would have said everyone needs to take high doses of vitamin D. The, The absolute research data on this is unequivocal. If you keep your vitamin D level high in your blood, um, you're safe. Yeah, you're- I, I saw
0: this. I actually have a, an MD friend who knows about vitamin D, which actually has a whole lot of spillover benefits in lots of different areas. Yes, and so I started actually sunbathing uh, regularly, you know, kind of you know, half an hour at noon uh, every few days when the sun's out. Uh, long ago, and I think it's actually been very beneficial. And
1: but, but have you had your blood tested?
0: No, I haven't.
1: And here's the, what's interesting, because you have to have your blood tested for vitamin D which I asked my regular physician, I said, listen, I want to have my blood tested vitamin D. He said, well, Medicare won't cover this unless, unless you tell me that you think you're deficient in vitamin D. I said, well, I think I'm deficient. Will you please get <laughs> have my test done? He did, by the way. And I knew from the research that I had to get a value to be safe above 60 nanograms per milliliter. And again, he did the test. I think my number came back 62. Now, the reason I got such a good level and most people and I described this in some of my articles, there's been a lot of research to show that most Americans, if they had their blood tested, would probably have a number like 20 or 30. Okay, Mm -hmm. very few people are going to get up to 50 or 60. I don't think you can do it without supplements, I take, I tell people I take at least 8,000 international units a day of vitamin D. Sometimes I take more. And that's the only way you're going to get up to that 50 or 60 level. Okay. Mm-hmm. But again, doctors are not giving that test, just like they don't use the d the test. It's pretty amazing to me. Uh, but all of this gets related to, uh, trying to get people to be healthy. Uh, I think the the vitamin D, I think, uh, and vitamin C is also very important. And and the articles have been written. Some people think vitamin C, very high levels of vitamin C uh, act the same way. Uh, and can help people deal with long COVID also. Yeah,
0: I remember that debate, I, and I remember seeing, you know, there's there's stronger arguments on both sides with vitamin C, but with vitamin D, it seems that the advocates have won that argument, and yet the establishment has tried to ignore it. Well, Joel, uh, some folks think, you know, the para, again, the paranoid types uh, who are often right, <laughs> think that COVID is a bioweapon, and I think there's very good evidence for that, and uh, that in fact the what they call the clot shots that is the mrna vaccines are phase 2 of a kind of bioweapon uh and what you're suggesting uh, sounds like pretty good evidence that they may not be as crazy as most people would think if indeed long covid is slowing a lot of people down Uh, the people have caught COVID, which is a great majority, uh, at least a substantial majority of Americans. And then the the vaccines are also doing it. And that's an even bigger majority of Americans have been vaccinated. And you said 60% of the vaccinated people, according to that one doctor, had elevated D-dimer levels. That would suggest that if this is a bioweapon uh, designed to target economies which is of course what Robert Cadillac, uh, the bioweapon czar appointed in 2017, just in time for the destruction of China's meat supply with bird flu and pork flu. Uh, he, Robert Cadillac is the world's foremost exponent of using deniable biological warfare to target adversary economies, which seems to have happened with China with, with the bird flu and the pork flu and very likely with COVID as well. And COVID as you're describing it, as well as the, the vaccines, the mRNA vaccines together, they seem like a perfect anti-economy bioweapon. And maybe that's partly why so many people are not returning to the workforce in the wake of the pandemic. I was listening to public radio the other day, and it described this crisis there's they can't find enough workers Uh, a huge substantial portion of the workforce has refused to go back to work and maybe from what you're describing that might have something to do with the fact that their abilities have been knocked down a couple of pegs by long covid and long covid from vaccines so this if this hypothesis is true um the whole planet seems like it's under a uh, bio attack. Uh, perhaps, accident, perhaps Cadillac thought he could target China and Iran without without having it spill over. Or maybe uh, there are oligarchs who want to reduce the population and reduce economic activity that pollutes the planet, and so on and so forth. Uh, I, I'm sure. I mean, this is all speculative, but it sure there seems to be ground there for speculation. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yes, but I, I would offer an alternative. Um, Fear also, in a sense, a strategy that I think has also existed, other than the bioweapon theory, is that it's all based on making money. Uh, You know, I'm a big believer in follow the money. Mm -hmm. And I think everything we've seen has been a, a, a strategy to make billions, if not trillions of dollars for the big pharma, for the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, selling uh, the vaccines and now the booster shots. So I think another possible way of looking at this, which is also frightening, is, and I was just listening this morning to, uh, there's new data showing that Fauci and his colleagues have received uh, many millions of dollars uh, because they own some of the patents on some of these vaccines and drugs so that Uh, we're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars going not just to the drug companies, but going to quote public health officials like Fauci, who is a total phony and a criminal in my mind. So that's another theory, is that this was all driven by greed, by the big farmer in the pharmaceutical industry to make a ton of money. Uh, And they have been making exactly that. You know, Pfizer has been making untold billions of dollars in profits. And now we know that Fauci and his NIH colleagues have been getting a piece of the action. So I think other than the bioweapons thing, which I've stayed away from because I haven't been able to dig into it, really. But I see the money aspect, the financial aspect of this as very, very significant. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're pushing The vaccines when, you know, over 90 percent of the population, even if they got infected with COVID, had no reason to fear uh, getting hospitalized or dying from COVID. The data showed that from the very beginning. And now they're pushing booster shots and booster shots for children, which is just amazing to me that they're getting away with forcing these vaccines onto children who have a very low probability of serious illness, uh, and then are going their bodies are going to get filled with these spike proteins. And I think that's uh, very troubling to me. So I think the money, you know, follow the money, is an alternative frightening theory uh, to the bioweapons theory about all of this. Money drives so much of what we see. The,
0: the two theories could be complementary. Yes. That is, ju- just like <laughs> yes. the... Now, there are people who think that all of these extremely aggressive military policies, such as what we saw when the CIA overthrew the Ukrainian government in 2014 and installed a neo-Nazi regime in preparation for the war with Russia that's now broken out, that all of that is about military industrial complex profits. And there's probably some truth to that. However, at the same time, I think that these weapons are deployed and these policies are deployed in a way that follows some kind of strategy, even if it's a completely insane one. So, uh, you know, if, if we were to say this is about follow the money, sure, we could see that people like Cadillac are probably heavily, in fact, he is, he's, he was, there was a scandal, he was heavily invested in some biowar startups, he had conflicts of interest. So yeah, he was out to make money. But that doesn't mean that he didn't attack China with bird flu, pork flu, and COVID. And indeed, the Defense Intelligence Agency knew that a horrific pandemic was brewing in Wuhan in November of 2019, when only a handful of people would have had this uh, COVID. And nobody could possibly have known that except for the perpetrators who planted it there. So I think that we could actually see both of these theories, the the follow the money theory and the uh, bioweapon theory as complementary. But what's odd, though, is, Joel, how, how how can... People imagine that they're going to really profit in a world where long COVID and the lockdowns around COVID uh, destroying supply chains, even as we speak, uh, uh, are, sure, making them some money, but driving down the level of health and well-being for everyone, presumably including themselves, if they get COVID themselves or if they get vaccinated or both – uh, they're going to suffer as well, so' it's, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the thinking of people who would be planning to make money off something like this.
1: Well, I agree, except that I think that some of these people like in in big pharma the, uh, the drug industry, they know they have little personally to fear. you know many of them might be taking vitamin D you know uh, mm-hmm. I, One of the things I'm looking into now is there's a medical mystery which is being pursued aggressively around the the world. And that mystery is this, a certain fraction of people, despite being highly exposed to COVID because they're they're workers in terms of hospitals, uh, they're healthcare workers, or they live in a family, have lived in a family household where everyone got COVID except them. So we have a certain interesting small fraction of the population everywhere where no matter how high the exposure to COVID has been, these people have not become ill. And so I'm just researching this and trying to see how the medical researchers are trying to figure this out. And one explanation is that these people have high innate immunity. Now, why do they have this high immunity? Another thing is they have something in terms of their genetic makeup, which explains why they're safe from COVID. But this is a really interesting new development, uh, a fascinating medical mystery, which is being pursued in places around the world. And, but Nobody asked the question. I've already looked into this. It's interesting. When they get these subjects that they're studying, they never ask them, Have they been taking vitamin D, for example? Have they been pursuing uh, the use of ivermectin? I've been a big fan, a proponent of uh, the cheap generics like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, uh, and some others that have come along. And they're not, these researchers are not trying to find out whether perhaps these people, despite high exposure, have had protection because of what they're doing to protect themselves, because of what they're taking in terms of supplements or generic medicines. You know, there's been a huge amount of ivermectin, almost all manufactured in India, which has been used by millions of people now around the world. So I think... And by the way, we now have one state, and I think maybe a second state, Tennessee, was the first state that has made it legal to get ivermectin over the counter without a prescription. And other states are coming along to do the same thing. So I think the the body of evidence to me is clear, uh, especially when you look at different countries where ivermectin has been used, like India. that ivermectin can work as a prophylactic, as a preventive, uh, not just once you get uh, COVID infection. So a lot of things are going on, which are interesting mysteries and uh, interesting research that's being pursued. But to get back to your point, we, I'm sure we have millions of Americans who cannot get, go back to work because of long COVID. And we're talking about tens of millions of people. This is not a small number. And some of
0: them might not even be consciously aware of it. They just don't really feel like going back to work. And they don't really quite have the energy and drive that they used to have. And their brains maybe aren't quite as sharp as they were. And so they're probably not even you know, explicitly saying, the reason I'm not going back to work is, is long COVID.
1: I happen to have a relative who got this. And she was, it was clear immediately She could hardly move. These people who have serious long COVID, their, their physical fatigue is so strong that just trying to do almost anything, you know, going out for a walk or something can't be done.
0: It's like chronic fatigue syndrome. And they had to spend decades to get that recognized for a long time. The medical establishment said there's no such
1: thing. Well, you're exactly right. That, that, uh, that comparison is often made. So There's no doubt that millions of Americans cannot go back to a normal life, cannot uh, go back to work because of long COVID. Uh, And it's interesting. I I have followed the research on this very closely. There are a few doctors. It's fascinating. I haven't written about this, who have actually cured people with long COVID, but the method they use is so um, difficult for you have to be very well trained to, it's an injection. It's called a nerve block. And they, they actually inject something in your neck. And I, I have a doctor, uh, he's actually not a doctor. He's, a, I don't know, something else. But he's, he's done about 200 of these. And I have been in communication with a few other doctors who with, with smaller numbers. But they have su- pretty successfully well, cured long COVID.
0: What are they injecting into your neck?
1: Well, I'm not sure about that. They don't ever...
0: <laughs> I, I would well learn before I did it.
1: Well, yeah, and it's very difficult. You can kill somebody very easily. You have to be extremely well-trained hmm. to position the injection in the neck. Uh, with no, a, don't try this at home. No. <laughs> and so there's only a handful of doctors who are trained enough to do this, but they are claiming some pretty good results. I haven't, I haven't seen anything else. All these sort of conventional doctors in the medical establishment uh, have set up clinics. I think we have 50 or 60 long COVID clinics now around the country, but what they're doing is not, uh, does not provide a, a real cure, let's say, for long COVID uh, at all.
0: Yeah, that does remind me about the situation with chronic fatigue syndrome, which I I had a cousin who had that who went to great lengths to try to get that under control. It also reminds me of Lyme disease disease symptoms. And in fact, I can speak from personal experience. I did contact Lyme in the mid 90s and uh, had these kinds of symptoms, you know, basically debilitating low energy. Uh, There was a, a weird headache that wouldn't go away. And uh, that kind of weakness and brain fog thing uh, right. was, and, and of course, Lyme was developed as a bioweapon and the guy who developed it, Willie Bergdorfer confessed on video. It's named after him. It's it's something as Bergdorfosis or whatever. He confessed on video that he made it for the U S military or the, the bioweapon program he was with. And, and of course it's a good economic, anti-economic bioweapon because it does kind of slow down your productivity a bit. And I, I, I did manage to get through that. Um, probably after the hip replacement that gave me the staph infection that gave me the IV antibiotics for six weeks and then oral antibiotics for six months that knocked out that uh, kind of chronic Lyme symptom stuff I was experiencing up until 2012. And then I got COVID last summer and noticed that the effects are quite similar to Lyme in terms of the brain fog and the, the, the weakness, um, but the, with the addition of, um, of breathing issues and a kind of a lung issue that makes you feel like you constantly need to clear your throat. Uh, and so, yeah, these things I think are real. And the medical establishment seems to not have dealt with any of them very well. Right. Like when I, when I first had Lyme, I had a grapefruit size swelling on my knee and they still wouldn't diagnose it because they said, well, the tests aren't good enough. We too many false positives and false negatives. So I went for more than 10 years undiagnosed until my whole body suddenly broke out with red bullseyes and the emergency room diagnosed it. So it, is it, why, why do you think the scientific medicine and the medical establishment have been so wrong about so many of these things, especially with COVID, where it looks like the cure, that is the, uh, the, tie, the clot shots, are even you know, as bad, if not worse, than the disease?
1: Well, I think there's no reason anymore for the public to trust the medical establishment or to trust the public health establishment. I think they have failed the public. And I, I, there are a few doctors who write about this that I follow who are, you know, we have a few hundred of maybe a few thousand doctors in the US who tell the truth. But the vast majority of doctors are employed by corporations. I always like to point this out. Well over 90% of physicians in the US are not independent, they work for corporations. So they have to follow what the corporations dictate. Uh, and I have tested this out with my own. Uh, primary care physician. At times, I said, "Well, will you give me a prescription for ivermectin?" Let's say he says, "I can't do it. If I plug it into the computer, it won't work. They, you know, they'll tell me there is no uh, sanctioned diagnosis uh, for using ivermectin." Same
0: error message that you get when you try to put a, a video like this on YouTube, pretty much. <laughs>
1: yeah. So he works for for a medical corporation, as do most doctors now, whether they work in hospitals or elsewhere. They all work for, almost all of them work for corporations. Those corporations follow the guidance of NIH and CDC and all of that stuff. So they're, they, they don't have the freedom. You know, I, I like to use the term medical freedom, that, that the, we've lost medical freedom in terms of doctors having the freedom to do what should be done. And we've lost medical freedom for patients. That is, we uh, as patients should have the freedom to determine what goes into our body, including rejecting the vaccines, for example. So medical freedom, the loss of it, to me has been a, a catastrophe. And uh, I, again, no reason to trust the, the medical and public health establishment. They have failed us completely. I'm always amazed, how, and still, uh, even today, that they can keep pushing vaccines and, and push booster shots, which don't work. You know, we've had all this research showing us that you can take these booster shots and within a few weeks, a couple of months, they wane, they say they wane, you lose their effectiveness.
0: Then you need another booster, and that's more profits for
1: big pharma. Well, exactly. So in Israel, they're on their fourth shot now. Uh, and then the research on that is just coming out. People still still die uh, with a, a, sec, a fourth shot. Uh, they still go to the hospital, and going to the hospital—and this is what I've said in some of my articles—that's that's a that's a death null. No, no. I mean, that that if you go into the hospital, they—that's the worst possible situation because the protocols that hospitals use for COVID victims are totally inadequate. So it's almost a guarantee that you will die if you go to a hospital as a COVID. Hopefully ER. not
0: quite that bad, because I I do know two people who've been hospitalized with COVID, actually three, uh, all hospitalized with COVID symptoms, two diagnosed with COVID, and one (laughs) diagnosed with flu uh, the two weeks after he got the shot. Uh, All of them ended up in the ER, and all of them survived. uh, uh, if,
1: If they didn't go past the ER, they can survive. But if you get admitted mm-hmm. as an inpatient, that's when the odds of dying go up enormously. Okay. So yes, it's uh, getting some. What
0: about cures worse than the disease.
1: <laughs> well, it's just the fact that that's where mm-hmm. most, most deaths happen. You know, again, we've just reached a number that's gotten some publicity. Uh, I, I get the Washington Post. You know, we're, we're, we've approached a million deaths attributed to COVID. That is the highest number for any advanced nation. I mean, nobody. We're number across, one. Number USA, one, USA. We're number one in terms of COVID deaths. Now, that's saying a lot. Why have so many people died? And by the way, most of those deaths, almost all of them happen in hospitals. So, yes, This is the reality that that we have. People are still dying from COVID. And I would say to you, in a certain scientific way, there's no reason why anyone should die of COVID. Again, uh, I'm just reading and looking at research showing over 70% of people have gotten infected. They may not even know it, but the number of people in the U.S. who've been infected is very high. And yet, we're still seeing those people are not dying necessarily. Most people will not die if they get infected, but those who do get in uh, seriously ill, it's almost, it is due to comorbidities, obesity, number one, diabetes, and some other things. So, and then the treatment that goes on in the hospitals, once you get past the ER, the kind of treatments, the protocols that they use, are terrible, and that's why so thats why we've lost a million people. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if, if if hospitals really knew what to do effectively, we wouldn't have lost a, a million people. And it's astounding when you think about it—a yeah. million people—and uh, it's still going on every day. The number is still fairly high. It's over—I believe—over fifty thousand people a day are still dying from COVID. So. Um again I am sorry,
0: how, how many? Fifty thousand? Worldwide. Yeah.
1: No, US.
0: Fifty thousand a day? No, that couldn't be. That's too high. Because because think about the numbers. That a million total, fifty thousand a day adds up to a million in twenty days. So I don't think that's the case.
1: Well, it's it's pretty high. I i, I saw the number the other it, day.
0: Yeah. And it's you got too many big. zeros on that number, Joel.
1: <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean I may have a little brain fog for my code, but I can still uh figure that one out. Yeah.
1: It's still relatively high. Uh, uh, people still dying. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not just elderly people. Uh, we've had a lot of, of course, side effects uh, from the vaccines, which, of course, people uh, seriously, heart problems, uh, heart inflammation, myocarditis, and things like that from uh, the vaccines. So a lot of bad stuff is still going on. Um, and, and, yeah,
0: it's, it's, it's been a complete catastrophe. Well, Joel, I, I, we were only going to do a half hour. We've gone a little over, but we probably should cut it off uh, here uh, because of the, uh, the attention span of the viewers, many of whom have had either long COVID or clot shots, uh, such that the ideal YouTube length is something like you know, five minutes, and uh, we already surpassed that a ways back. But you, you've really done a good job of summarizing the ways that our scientific uh, medical establishment And perhaps our national security establishment as well. These establishments have utterly and completely failed us. Um, And the discussion, of course, of why that is, the philosophical background, maybe I'll talk about that with Matthias Desmet, uh, who's written on the mass formation issue in a little bit, Uh, but for now, uh, thank you so much, Joel Hirschhorn. I think you're, you're really one of the best, most well-balanced and largely, it seems, accurate voices on, on this issue. And I, I hope your work reaches more people. And remind us uh, of your book and where people can find it.
1: Well, Pandemic Blunder is still available on Amazon. And my Substack Pandemic Blunder newsletter is free. I don't charge anyone. So mm-hmm. they can go to uh, joelshershorn.substack.com. Uh, to sign up for Pandemic Blunder newsletter.
0: Pandemic Blunder, the book that scooped RFK Jr.'s bestseller by a year. Uh, yes.
1: <laughs> that, <laughs> great book. I, I find that interesting that I went after Fauci more than a year, almost mm-hmm. two years before the Kennedy book. Uh, so anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah you covered uh, an awful lot of the same issues that he did and really largely just as well. So congratulations on that and look forward to talking to you again down the line.
1: Thank
0: you, thank you. Okay, take care. Appreciate it, Yep. Bye-bye. Welcome to Truth Jihad Radio. We're back, and we're still thinking about what we just spoke about with Dr. Joel Hirschhorn, about how the Western scientific medical paradigm may not have all the keys to human health. In fact, it may be screwing up royally. Are there any other paradigms that might work better? Well, let's talk to Fatna Belushi. She's a traditional healer who has published the new book, Moroccan Cooking for Diabetics, A Spiritual Journey into the Soul of Nutrition. This is much more than a cookbook. It's got all kinds of amazing Moroccan recipes, but it also has discussions of spirituality and its relation to health, nutrition, and allied topics. So welcome back, Fatna. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Always good to have you back, Fatna. Thank you. So, <laughs> so according to Joel Hirschhorn, who is a scientist, he's a metallurgical engineering professor who's been a consultant to the U.S. Congress on many scientific topics, so he's totally drenched in the scientific paradigm. He admits that with COVID, among other things, the scientific approach has failed miserably, and that Western scientific medicine has made things worse rather than better. It's screwed up all over the place. Uh, Do you find that surprising?
2: Uh, Not at all. Uh, I had noticed um, that um, pretty much everything that uh, so-called science have taught people is not the whole truth, maybe just a very tiny little amount of truth. And uh, so I have been... Actually, I was aware of this uh, right after 9 one I felt like 9 uh, one was going to be like uh, the breaking up of the uh, Pandora box to get us where we, where we are. And I actually talked about um, a new paradigm coming to, to play. And this is what I called our new revolution.
0: Now, how did 9-11 relate to that? Uh, what was it about 9-11 that was going to bust open the old scientific paradigm and open the door to something new?
2: Well, 9-11, um, as we know by now, and almost everybody in the whole entire world, unless they choose to not know, and that's a whole different question, but uh, 9-11, the way that it was done, it was... Uh, Meant to be an attack, another attack on people's psyche, but it's like that last attack, that the trauma that that would open uh, the box of of worms for everything else. And COVID is really what I call is COVID 911. So uh, these elites who are like always. Attacking us in our psyche, um, I think we reached what they call the rock bottom. So, for us to evolve, we have to go down. It's uh, we have to go to the, our our rock bottom, and to be able to uh, to um, to bring ourselves up.
0: Mm. Well, I can see how the nine uh, eleven false flag operation could be seen as an extreme example of a sort of scientific approach to dealing with uh, human beings as if they were just sort of amoebas to study under a microscope and then manipulate uh, because they instrumentalized people and used people as objects to try to get things done that they wanted to get done. Uh, And likewise, it seems with COVID, we see the same thing, where the human element is downgraded. They don't really care about the dignity of human beings. And what they care about is the manipulation through scientific techniques and getting more and more control, uh, especially on the part of specialists. So I I do kind of see how that's related. Then also the fear-mongering, 9-11 was all about fear. It was trauma-based mind control and COVID had plenty of the same thing, of course, right? Look at all those fearful people with their their masks and they're demanding vaccines, you know, and they're terrorized by anybody who's not masked and vaccinated. You see the same kind of thing. So uh, so this is taking us to rock bottom, you're suggesting. You see that this technological uh, manipulation of people and this technological scientistic worldview is going to destroy things ultimately, and then people are going to reject it. That sounds like a, I've seen a few science fiction novels like that, where where they basically destroy the world. You know, the sci- scientists, materialists destroy the world, and then you get a whole populist uprising against them afterwards.
2: Yeah, it's like the concept of the wounded healer. You have to really know uh, the dark side and really dwell in the dark side for a very long time to understand the human psyche. And once you do that, then we evolve as as a species and we understand who we really are. And it's from that hurt. It's from that... that um, uh, denigration that you mentioned, that we know how to get back on our feet and how to heal ourselves. And by healing ourselves, we also heal um, all of us.
0: Well, that sounds, sounds good to me. And so what's, what's the relation then between uh, spirituality, uh, nutrition, and, and healing, a kind of you know, healing that is very different from the scientific medical approach to healing.
2: Uh, we It's simple. We come from earth. Uh, we need all these uh, things that are actually already uh, exist in the soil. We are made with clay. We are made from earth. Um, so to nourish our bodies, we need to eat basically soil, the soil is full of bacteria that help us um, uh, be in great shape. It helps our grounding. I talk a lot in my book about probiotics and how you can make your own probiotics to sustain your body, but it, particularly your brain. Uh, because as we know with uh, in your uh, previous uh, show, talking about long COVID and the brain fog that leaves and that's why people are not meti- motivated to work or they're depressed or something so the gut bacteria is is um is a huge uh deal but and that brings me to say that the the, the vaccines actually the first thing they kill in your body is your bacteria uh, in your in your in your uh, gut which is really like very destructive you would never get it back uh but of course th- the body is is made to regenerate so it might take you forever you might uh, you know but you have to trust and keep going of course so uh is that what your question well, is y- yeah
0: i guess Al- although I, I know antibiotics mess with the gut bacteria i didn't know that vaccines did too
2: yes the vaccines do too Yeah. And, and not only that, I mean, it depends exactly where, you know, what they're injecting in people, especially with this last COVID vaccine, it's, it's a whole new technology that changes. They talk about, they talked about the mRNA changing the code, the immune code. It's, for me, I find this very insulting to, um, to our spirit that comes from God. And, and, and uh, our perfect uh, creation and creative spirit that knows what it needs and that has everything that needs to uh, to stay healthy. And the soil is full of that. Uh, we are part of the of the soil. We are soil. So I, you know, everything that we have we need is here, and, and it's. It's now.
0: Interesting. Well, even the scientists seem to admit now that that gut bacteria is very important, although I think they're coming up with weird scientific ways to try to improve it through things like uh, fecal transplants, which sounds pretty disgusting to me. Uh, Probably just eating uh, probiotics would be uh, a lot less disgusting way to improve your gut biome. I would think.
2: Yeah, and I have a, a great recipes, very easy recipes in the book, um, and this is this whole this whole thing is a, is an experience. And uh, people think of a disease as being like something horrible, or because that's what the medical uh, authority wants you to believe. They they want you to believe that you have no power over your body, that your body doesn't have intelligence your body has it, extreme intelligence it, it knows when it ha- when it needs to rest it, it knows when it needs to uh, exercise it needs uh, to sleep or whatever but or certain like for example i give very easy example about women sometimes women when they're pregnant or children, as a matter of fact, they would be eating like soil. You know, they would like eat, and then it's called pica. You know, like pregnant women would have such cravings. So, but the medical uh, authority doesn't want you to to understand these things. Oh, they would just have somebody tell you. And but the thing is, why would you want somebody ever to tell you what is your what your body needs, um, even with. Uh, There is so much information out there. There There's so much herbs. You talked with the previous. uh, 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 Yeah, it's Joel Hirschhorn. Joel Hirschhorn? Okay. So he he mentioned about uh, ivermectin. Well, I'm going to tell you something about ivermectin. Ivermectin doesn't cure COVID, at least not directly. So Avermectin what it does, it, it actually is an anti-parasite, so anti-worm. And, and um, when it kills the worms or the parasite in your body, it's actually your body just gets a heads up in curing COVID. So uh, I need people to talk more precisely and to uh, give more information that's more precise and more um, into like... Because knowledge is power. And when you have that knowledge, you can meditate on that knowledge. And your body, you can talk to your body. You can say, hello, my friend, you know, I come to talk to you again and I need you, your help. So there is all this visualization that you can talk to your body. And your body, when uh, when you talk to it, it's intelligent and you can heal it. By being conscious and and respectful and uh, it's it's amazing, th- and this is the relationship that we need to uh, we need to develop is our consciousness. and because we are not just a piece of meat which most scientists would want us to believe. We are very complex. Uh, uh, divine, uh, divine uh, creation. We we have yes, we have the body, but we also have different actually uh, aspects of the of, of the body and also the mind. The mind has a huge presence, and it has been uh, many studies has proved that meditation really affect our health. So. I try to give some of this information as well um, in my book.
0: Well, your book uh, offers a whole bunch of recipes, and some of them are pretty you know, quick and easy, and some of them take more doing. And then, I guess, I don't know if, if I forget exactly which ones in the book are which, but I know in terms of traditional Moroccan cuisine, some of the dishes take ridiculous amounts of labor like the Ramadan Ramadan uh, delicacies that women get together and work on all day together mm-hmm. are super super labor intensive. So when you're using your book and you know you're making these these good nutritious meals, you're probably investing more time and attention into it than a lot of Americans are used to where they, they buy TV dinners if they're feeling ambitious and if not maybe they just eat some chips. And 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 off everybody does it individually, right? Each each person uh, either they're living individually, or you know, each person in the family kind of raids the refrigerator for their meal. They never sit down together, and it seems like there's maybe a social aspect to food that also uh, might have something to do with uh, with better health. That is, people eating this really good food, like these recipes in your book, uh, in a situation where somebody has put a lot of uh, labor and call it good karma or baraka, into it, Mm -hmm. hand-making the food, and then sitting down with with people hopefully that they love or that they're in a community with, that there might actually be a health benefit to that because even the scientists admit now that uh, community and having friends and loved ones and family around and stuff is actually a huge influence on your health. Uh, People who are cut off and atomized and without uh, much uh, social network tend to be unhealthy. So I think your cookbook maybe has, has uh, sort of some of that too, and it benefits from the kind of traditional family and community structures uh, in Morocco that produced this amazing Moroccan cuisine.
2: Yeah, community and also, um, you know, uh, cooking with uh, with the good intention, like you said, good karma, good energy, whatever you may want to call it. And uh, that's... Uh, but there are like recipes that are really easy to do. I mean, why would you want to go like driving and trying to find these foods that are like mass produced? How is that going to help your body? I would rather just stay and and do something like make something with intention and prayer and I'm happy and uh, my body is happy and uh, my soul really feels very fulfilled after, um, You know, I make my own food for me and my family and my friends. So it's totally worth it.
0: Okay. So your book has all of these different kinds of dishes. Some of them are really well-known, like uh, the couscous dishes. Couscous is, is famous in Morocco. And then there are all these salads. Uh, this kind of standard Moroccan salad with the cucumbers and lettuce and onions and scallions, a diced tomato, uh, feta and goat cheese. Uh, it's kind of a classic Mediterranean salad. Uh, and it, there's, uh, but it has all sorts of uh, you know, soups, and uh, there are even uh, desserts and a lot of a lot of fish dishes as well. Since they're all the, the fish, you know, cheap, nutritious fish in Morocco. Uh, it seems like there's, there's such a, a wide variety of things here in this book. And the one that's most surprising, I guess, would be the desserts. And your book even starts by saying, what do you mean dessert? In a book for diabetics, how can you have any dessert recipes? So uh, what, uh, how, how can diabetics be actually eating this whole broad range of traditional Moroccan cuisine?
2: You can certainly do it. And if you get my book, you will have desserts and uh, your life will be sweet.
0: <laughs> okay, well, maybe we should leave it there. I guess uh, so. Thank you so much, Fatna Belushi, author of Moroccan Cooking for Diabetics: A Spiritual Journey into the Soul of Nutrition. Definitely not just for diabetics, but for anybody who wants to eat better and live better. So, thank you, Fatna.
2: Thank you. See you next
0: time.